Welcome to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenhouse. We are grateful to WVU, who offers renowned online master's degree programs in marketing communications. And this series is presented by the Reed College of Media as part of their ongoing marketing series. Thank you for joining us today. Ruth, you and I have been talking about PR together and wondering what the future of media relations looks like. I um, reached out to Bridget Borst-Ombres, a fellow alumna from West Virginia University in the IMC program. Mm -hmm. And she's also a, a media relations professional and asked her if she would join us today. Uh, she's a senior PR and communication strategist a principal of, I love the name of her company, the Consultant. Isn't that clever? <laughs> Terrific. Um, she's also been a journalist herself, and she brings a really terrific perspective on this topic. So shall we invite Bridget to join us? Can't wait to chat with her. Hi, Bridget. How are you today? Hello, ladies. Thank you for the invite. I love the show. Uh, big fan of WVU IMC. In fact, I am sporting my WVU IMC Weekend 2010 T-shirt. I know you can't see it. you can't see it. It's audio, but uh, I am. Wow, you guys are great. Well, Bridget, I'm wearing my uh, West Virginia gear too in honor of uh, our conversation today. And to kick us off and for a grounding for our audience, uh, would you help us define what media relations is today? Sure. You know, at the end of the day, how, how I see it is it's developing relationships with editors and journalists on, on behalf of a brand, right? So cultivating media relationships in TV, magazine, uh, other forms of print, podcasts, Right. And, and the goal behind it all is to communicate the brand story. Right. Or their key messages. That's that's how I see it. I like that. Very crisp and clear. And the the profession has changed a lot right. generally since the Internet has upended a lot of these relationships. So what are some of the trends that you're seeing media relations? You know, number one trend, in my view, is that it is getting harder to secure earned media coverage, largely due to smaller editorial teams, right? So those who are winning at media relations right now are usually specialized or they're becoming a bit more niche. So instead of doing, let's say, financial PR, that's a somewhat general term, you might start seeing more people position themselves as specifically a a banking PR expert or, or a crypto PR expert, but definitely depth over breadth is something I'm seeing now more than ever. Leaner staffs right in these newsrooms, uh, they're expected to produce much more content. And, you know, Ruth, uh, Cindy, when we were talking, you know, earlier, I had mentioned that 114,000 people worked in newsrooms back in 2008. And fast forward to 2019, there were 87,000. And that's even- Wow. Yeah. So that's, wow. you know, that's the kind of impact uh, that we're seeing. And it certainly has changed the name of the game. And, you know, another trend is that some of these creators, journalists are trying to, to make money outside of being paid by traditional media outlets. So we've seen, you know, Jeff St. John, formerly a green tech media, Eric Wessoff coming from PV Magazine. These guys went over and started Canary Media. They're doing an, a great job. You know, we're seeing 
you know, some journalists move to Substack uh, for different reasons. Yeah. Right. Talented journalists who want to see higher pay. Maybe maybe they got laid off uh, different reasons. But we're seeing some of these folks start their own subscription newsletters. Right. There's I mean, I could talk about the live unedited audio. That's a huge trend. Podcasts are exploding. Uh, we're seeing uh-huh. more- like but Bridget, um, I'm not a PR professional, so excuse me for asking, you know, what might be a naive question, but let's just go back. You mentioned a number of journalists that, you know, those of us who may not be in the PR profession um, may not know who they are, but, um, and then you mentioned, you said Substack as, as an example, just give us a, a short definition. What is Substack? Simply put, Substack is a paid newsletter right? Um, And we are seeing more journalists gravitate towards Substack. We're seeing more journalists' content behind paywalls. We're seeing some of them go out and start their own newsletters and uh, subscription-based kinds of platforms. Definitely a trend that's on the rise. They're becoming many publishers on their own. Absolutely. Yeah, creating their own audiences. Because these journalists are operating their own publications, they're still available to build a relationship with and that whatever they're writing could still involve mentions of the brands that you're representing, right? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, overall, that's, that's another trend that sort of coincides with the, the rise of affinity based newsletters, right? Newsletters, subscription-based newsletters that are run by by journalists um, and just some other sort of niche newsletters that we see that um, aren't necessarily, um, you know, driven by one journalist or, or two in particular. Things like Startup Digest, Milkshake, Good Beer Hunting, those kinds of affinity-based newsletters in general are trending. Interesting. So there's a lot of change in the media environment that journalists have either migrated away or otherwise the newsrooms are smaller. But what's still the same? Are are some of the principles still with us or have those changed as well? Right. You know, stories that connect back to serving the public good, public interest, those are sorely needed. Those are, that's an element that I don't think is is changing. Uh, video has been a major trend. It still is a trend. We're seeing a little bit more emphasis on, you know, things like TikTok and Insta Reels, right? Because it's a it's a, a new way for journalists to practice storytelling and, and sort of connect with audiences in this behind the scenes kind of uh, scenario. But what specifically has not changed? I, I think doing your homework, Ruth, um, doing your homework <laughs> on journalists, right? Taking the time to read and follow the stories, knowing what topics they cover before you pitch them. I think that will forever be the bedrock of effective media outreach And secondly, I'd say, you know, in a world of uh, where we see 5,000 ads a day, a third party validation from earned media remains one of the strongest ways to be heard. So, you know, that's that's where I stand on on what's changing and and what's not, I guess, about the industry. Yeah, I'd like to um, talk a little bit about that earned media. You know, for sure, we have felt that uh, third party endorsement for through earned media is really important. 
couldn't agree with you more. But has the value of earned media started to erode as we're having this blurring of PR and advertising with advertorials? And I think, Ruth, you and I have seen far more of this in the media and wondering, are, are we... Uh, are we blending or disguising advertising as news? And is, is earned media still as powerful as it was? That is a great question. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, advertising disguised as news, right? Often known as, as native advertising, advertorials. You know, here's, here's my point of view. Yes, we have seen an acceleration of the line blurring between earned and paid media, especially this past year, Cindy, because advertising and other sources of revenue plummeted, right? For these publishers. Uh, I, I read a great piece in PR Week just a few weeks ago that examined whether the value of earned media is diminishing. And in that piece, the line of thinking was that the market accepts this increased in sponsored content as long as the content is clearly labeled as such, right? Uh, so I think that, you know, news organizations that aren't vetting content appropriately, or maybe they're running too much page media. I, I think they run the risk of losing credibility. Uh, and it's a fine line that I think editors and publishers have to consider. But, you know, by and large, I, I think earned and paid media are still separate content plays. And I'll, I'll finish with this, you know, despite the nation's love-hate relationship with the media, a year-long Pew Research Study supports that earned media is still a powerful third party, you know, credibility for your brand. So from where I'm sitting, there's still great value in earned media. Well, I'm thrilled to hear that, really, because we've all known, especially as marketers, that the endorsement of a trusted journalist or publication is so much more valuable than us pounding our chests and and paying for advertising. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that that hasn't totally right. eroded. Phew. It, it's interesting though, right? I mean, such a, such a different world. The game has changed in the last few short years. Bridget, I'd like to pivot a little bit because as Ruth knows, I'm a big advocate of measurement and metrics. You know, uh, if you don't measure what matters, then, uh, you know, we can talk about uh, vanity metrics and, and, and other type of metrics. And um, today in PR, I'm wondering what you are seeing and if you can provide some examples of how we're showing impact of PR. And are we moving away from outputs and moving more towards outcomes? Mm. as we are in other media? Mm. The, the infamous question, right? <laughs> How do we measure PR? You know, and mm. for starters, I think most of us will agree that it's time to move on from advertising value equivalency, right? AVE as a PR metric. Right. Um, I think that PR met measurement is a topic that could be its own episode. There's just so much here. You know this firsthand, Cindy, right? We could yeah. talk about formulas and point systems and different schools of thought on measurement. And I think there's a little bit of a lack of unified measurement, if you will. But in my experience, there are two main ways to measure the value of our work. And, and you mentioned one output, right? And then outcomes. And so when I talk about output, um, I, I'm still seeing folks measure their impact by 
output metrics such as number of messages, right, that they're getting out there, the number of mentions, um, looking at the number of impressions, right? And you can still round up metrics like circulation numbers for newspapers and magazines and, and get audience data for television programs. Uh, you know, for blog posts, online media, there are a ton of services out there that calculate those measurements for you on those pieces. They look at the inbound links and number of comments and reactions and, and retweets and so forth. Um, but I also like to, to combine the output measurements with the outcome, right? Because that's where you get into message analysis. As a brand, are your key messages penetrating within these stories? Do you see your keywords and products reflected within these stories? That's message effectiveness, right? So look for things like awareness, changes in purchase content, uh, purchasing content, website visits. Uh, have you noticed an uptick in things like registrations for a webinar? or signing up for free trials. So I think we collectively as an industry need to look at the sentiment of the stories, right? These are some of the business outcomes that you hope that your work impact. But, you know, real quick, just a couple of anecdotes for you that I think kind of fit into the nature of this question is, uh, you know, first, I, I know a guy, a colleague of mine who placed a story about a technology product in the New York Times. And then a big Fortune 50 company called their office and was interested in licensing it and then actually wow. later licensed it later. And that person who runs the office told him that they would have spent tens of thousands of dollars to generate just one lead from a company like that. Um, so, you know, again, those stories, uh, you know, a another, um, you know, person that, you know, I um, had worked with got a placement with a prominent journalist. I think it was Walt Mossberg, maybe. And then after that placement, sales increased sixfold and stayed oh there. So, I mean, these are real stories. These are real uh, ways that we can measure and, and tie back sort of what we do in PR back to those business outcomes. Right. So I think it's a combination of the two, the output and the outcomes. Uh, so what I hear you say here is... It in addition to looking at, uh, you know, output specific, what are we doing? What are we creating activity? You're looking at incrementality and lift. Mm. So how are you getting more than you did before, right? More sales or more website visits or more, you know, webinar registrations. So uh, your effectiveness is tied to incremental lift as opposed to control versus, it was doing nothing before, and now I, I, I'm going to take entire uh, responsibility uh, for whatever that action was. Mm -hmm. Is that it's a, a so hard? You know, the um, uh, in our B2B world, Cindy, you know what, what yeah. will happen is no matter where that phone call was stimulated from the New York Times example Bridget gave, the sales team is still going to say, well, you know, it was our business. <laughs> Sales has never given anybody credit for anything, including PR. Um, yeah. I did want to pick up on something else. You said the lack of maybe unified or agreed upon metrics in the profession as a whole. Um, is this something that is being addressed by PR professionals through uh, trade associations or groups like, you know, the Barcelona principles mm -hmm. or something that we all agree that in our world in marketing, things like cost per lead, cost per uh, 
acquisition, cost per sale. Like there are some things we all agree upon in performance marketing. Yes. So I think that PRSA, I think that, you know, several other bodies, even PR firms that specialize in measurement, I think there are, are definitely some, some, some commonalities. Um, I think that there are folks out there trying to, to get it right and certainly have, you know, just different ways of measuring. Um, some companies, brands, or organizations might look at point systems, um, different formulas, right? So there's different methods out there, but I think to a degree, there, there is some commonality if you look at the Barcelona principles and of course, PRSA, right? Um, but I would like to see us, I guess, get a little bit more unified around measurement mm-hmm. as an industry uh, when we talk about the future of PR and where, where we want to go here in the next few years. Well, speaking of the future, what are some of your predictions about where we're all going with media relations? Mm. My, my crystal ball, Ruth. <laughs> uh, let's say, you know, I, when I think about the future of PR technologies, right, that make PR more efficient, more effective, um, you know, I, I think platforms like Coverage Book, right, I think those are going to be popping up more so. These are, this is a, a platform that re- you know, takes media coverage and makes reports faster and prettier. We're already using services like Harrow and Quoted, right, that allow you to respond to reporters who are asking for sources on a wide range of topics. So, you know, there's no digging involved um, from your perspective. These are inquiries that come straight to your inbox that you can respond to. Um, Lots of different media monitoring technologies and tools um, one tool I'm really excited about, I, I just discovered a couple of weeks ago, is, is One Pitch. Uh, it's new, it's free, and all you do is upload a media pitch or a sample pitch, and the technology shows you best matches for journalists based on the topics mm. that they cover. And they give you mm. the journalist's contact information and everything. And I haven't seen a service quite like that. I, I don't think it replaces good due diligence and media research, but I do think it's a great supplement and I'm really interested to see where it's, it's going. But I would say if you are a person listening to this podcast and you're particularly interested in AI, VR related aspects of PR, the future of PR, please jot down the name Kathy Hackle and follow her. That's Kathy with a C. And Hackle is H-A-C-K-L. She's a PR tech futurist and she's an expert in this kind of stuff and knows a whole lot more uh, than I do about where we're going. And uh, as an industry, as it relates uh, relates to tech advancements, she's really got her finger on the pulse of that. It's really exciting. Thanks for the tip. Well, Bridget, this has been such an interesting conversation with you, and you've shared so much deep knowledge. We really appreciate it, and with such enthusiasm for the profession. So we're so thrilled to have had you join us today on our podcast. And um, we're going to say goodbye to you now, and Ruth and I are going to digest all the things that you discuss with us and have a little chat. So thank you very much, Bridget. Yes. Very well. It was my pleasure. These are some of my favorite topics to dish on. So I appreciate you both inviting me to join. Thank you, Bridget. Ruth, I'm so glad that we asked Bridget to join us today. Me too. She she just had a a very interesting perspective on the um, trends in the profession. Uh, You know, 
I wanted to start out by commenting on, she said more and more of the journalists are becoming um, more specialized and we're going from uh, broader to depth and niche and how you aren't going to get the same coverage if you are a more broad-based, like you said, banking versus, you know, cryptocurrency is a good example. That means that you have to, as a PR professional, be really knowledgeable in a very niche way. Right. I got the impression that as media has fragmented with all of these different channels that journalists are being forced out of the newsrooms into all of these other areas like blogs, podcasts, subscription vehicles. I feel sorry for all the journalists who, whose li- livelihoods are, are so difficult, such more, so much more difficult. Um, but that is an interesting career um, it, piece of advice for PR professionals to that they need to create deep knowledge for themselves in certain media categories. And that helps them build deep relationships with the journalists who specialize in those categories. And I would guess that that would enhance their value to the brands. Right. The brands the PR that, professionals, I mean. Right. It brands that are in that specific subspecialty area. And then conversely, if you're thinking about your val- broad value as a PR professional, you know, does it pigeonhole you? If I become an expert in crypto, but I would like to migrate over into fintech, am I going to have a problem because I'm viewed as too specialized? So it's kind of a double-edged sword there. Um, Indeed. I'm really glad we had a chance to learn from her about this ongoing, long-time, unfortunate direction where church and state barriers are have been crumbling really for decades, and consumers and business buyers are, it, it, the way I see it anyway, losing their trust in the media that they consume when they can't tell the difference between an advertorial and an article. I I would point specifically to Forbes magazine and even Fortune magazine where Mm -hmm. the word advertorial or sponsored content is up there by the page number at the top, but It's in this exact same look and feel. The type is the same. The layout of the page, the illustrations are the same. So it's really easy to get confused between what is really earned media and what is paid media within the pages of the same magazine, which suggests to me that people are going to reduce their trust in in uh, earned media and because they're confused, which then means that the whole value of the PR profession may be eroded. Yeah, I know that uh, Bridget seemed to be a lot more positive about it and said <laughs> right. she felt that paid um, 
and earned while the lines are being blurred a bit, that earned is still powerful and felt third party endorsements were so important um, as part of, uh, you know, the profession. But I hear where you're coming from, Ruth, and as a consumer of content, it is very hard sometimes to tell the difference and how the lines are blurred there. So, you know, perhaps she's a little more uh, positive about that than uh, we are as consumers of the content. Let's get a hold of that P- that Pew research that she mentioned, because it really did reassure me a bit that all is not lost and we should share that with our listeners. Yes, uh, we'll put that in the blog. So uh, our listeners, if they want to uh, take a look at it, can check but out let, that link. Yeah. And let's talk about the point that you raised, as you always do, about the measurability of earned media uh, activity. Man, uh, that's a tough one. Where, where do you come out on, on what she said? Well, I think that falls under the category of what hasn't changed. And <laughs> right. it's, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. And, you know, I feel pain um, around this because um, as so many other disciplines within marketing and communications have moved to being highly measurable and metric driven and understanding that you, you don't get the money if you can't prove the outcome or the upside benefit of it. And, and we're still talking about outputs, you know, impressions and, and measurement that it just, it, it, it gives me hives because of it. <laughs> <laughs> and the outcomes, I mean, at least, at least she brought out output and outcomes to the table together, but the stories she told are lovely, encouraging anecdotes, but they're not going to, persuade anybody really that there was a causal relationship between that New York Times article and the sale that came the next day. We all know that the salespeople are going to say there was no connection. <laughs> so, you know, and setting up control groups and other traditional techniques for being able to demonstrate that there was uh, a causal relationship and that the investment in the, the marketing paid off in, in some business outcome is uh, it's still with us. It is, you know, I kind of fall back to what could you do and, you know, surveys pre and post awareness surveys and things that are quantifiable and measurable that said, what did they know before? What did they know during? What did they know after? Something you can quantify and, and, you know, making sure you are part of the incrementality that you're measuring. You're not going to be able to take a hundred percent attribution or even partial in some cases, but if you can say the incremental lift of a campaign and we were part of it, PR was part of that. Uh, like an assist. Try yourself. <laughs> yeah, hmm. like an assist in hockey, which, you know, we, we've all used to our advantage. I think PR still has a, a place in not only the hearts, but also the pocketbooks of, of businesses. I mean, every CEO loves to see his or her name in print so who doesn't (laughs) so pr has a future but what 
um, what really excited me about this conversation, at least as we wrapped it up, was these interesting new technologies that are emerging to help with the pitch effort, the PR outreach mm -hmm. effort, the, the media relations function. And these are really neat. I mean, we all know that this is a difficult long-term job to do. I mean, you have to build the relationship, then you need to pitch the story. And it often never comes to anything. And it must be, you know, you need to have a very thick skin and having these new technologies help take away some of the pain and um, increase your efficiency, I think is very exciting. Yes, um, that one pitch sounds like the match.com of PR. Right. <laughs> <laughs> PR for dummies, if you want to say that. I, PR I for lovers. For lovers, there you go. <laughs> well, Ruth, let's get to our three little piggies, our, our three takeaways. What would you um, suggest for our first? Well, uh, let's, let's begin with the, the depth versus breadth message that, mm -hmm. that she left with us that more specialization is, is the key direction that, that media relations professionals need to take because that's where their audience is going as well. Agreed. And developing relationships with editors at a very niche level is more important than ever. Um, of course, I have to say the second one I'm going to put in there is that uh, there's still work to be done as a profession in the area of measurement and metrics, and that there um, seems to be a lack of unified metrics that are agreed upon broadly by the profession. So there's more work to be done in that yeah. area. And Cindy, I think we may have to uh, allow for the possibility that there is no solution to that because PR professionals yeah. have been working on that for decades, centuries. So piggy number three is about the continuing erosion of the barrier between church and state and the potential that consumers and business people are losing trust in earned media, but that there's fortunately still value viewed, uh, according to the Pew research that Bridget mentioned, that gives us hope that maybe all is not lost quite yet. Absolutely, totally agree. Well, Ruth, it's been a real pleasure as always speaking with uh, uh, you today and Bridget, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you, Cindy. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to view our upcoming conversations, listen to previous discussions, and subscribe to receive updates.